At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Thank you. Um, so if you don't, y'all can be seated. If you don't know me, my name is Brody and I'm an intern here at Oak. And uh, one of the perks of being the intern is that they don't give me the wild apocalyptic world-shattering Advent texts that we've had the last couple weeks. If you've been with us uh, for the previous Sundays in Advent, you'll know that uh, so far we've seen broods of vipers and cosmic, you know, dismay and chaos and axes at the root of metaphorical trees. And here, there's none of that. This text is just two women having a chat. It's, this is an easy one. We can all just take a deep breath. <laughs> and, and yet, I think that as we examine this text, we will find that in this seemingly simple conversation, this mundane encounter, we will see a glimpse of a, a different kind of apocalyptic transformation. It's not a transformation of the cosmos or an unraveling of the world order, as we've seen in other texts so far in Advent, but this is a transformation of a single person, Mary, the mother of Jesus. The central text for this Sunday sits right between two really important moments for church history. And, and they're moments that are so pivotal that theologians throughout time have given them fancy names. Um, the first one, just before the text that Jess read, is an encounter called the Annunciation. And it's when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary to tell her that God has asked her to mother him as he joins the human story. God is asking Mary to birth him, to nurse him, to protect him, to teach him, eventually to bury him, and to announce the news of his resurrection. Gabriel tells Mary of this calling and also gives her a promise or two. He promises her that the Lord is with her and that when Jesus brings his kingdom, that his kingdom will never end. And you can imagine how Mary felt in this moment of the Annunciation. 
the text tells us that she was greatly troubled and that the angel had to reassure her not to be so afraid. And this moment, which we call the Annunciation, has been depicted um, in artistic pieces a number of times throughout the centuries. And a lot of them, sort of from Renaissance era or later, that they kind of look like this. Um, and here you can see that not only is, is Mary white and in her early 30s, which like neither of which is terribly historically accurate, <laughs> but in this painting, she's also fully prepared for this angel. You know, I mean, she's like dressed to the nines. She has like her best look going. She even like had time to get her halo ready, you know? Um, she did not wake up like this. Uh, and, and I don't imagine the greatly troubled, fearful Mary having the pose that she has here. And, and, and I don't imagine this encounter looking quite like this. Um, and I'm, I'm leaning more towards pieces like this one by Henry Osawa Tanner. Here you can see that he's paying a little bit more attention to the context of the story from scripture. Here you can see Mary looks surprised. She looks disturbed, even destitute, right? She's a poor Galilean woman in this painting. You can imagine this Mary leaving the encounter thinking, why me? Can I handle this? It's enough for me to get by. This feels overwhelming. Here's another depiction of the Annunciation by Harmonia Rosales. And, and here, Mary does have the halo, and um, she has it just like the first one. But here, she's not fully clothed in Renaissance European garb. Here, she's vulnerable, caught off guard, seen and known, and, and maybe even an uncomfortable way or an unsettling way. In, in these later paintings, the Annunciation feels a little bit more faithful to how I imagine Mary experienced it. This calling and this promise that the angel Gabriel gave Mary was not a moment that she was expecting or prepared for. It was glorious and honoring and all of those things, but it was also a calling that was hard to carry out and a promise that was hard to believe that God would save the world and that he needed her help. That is overwhelming and honestly terrifying to hear. Now, on the other end of our text today, um, another pivotal moment in the history of the church is, is a song that Mary sings. It's been called by theologians and historians the Magnificat because uh, the first word of it from its, its Latin translation is um, related to the word magnify. Mary sings, my soul magnifies the Lord. And in this song, we have a totally different Mary than the overwhelmed, confused, awestruck Mary that we saw in the Annunciation. This Mary is singing about the toppling of empires and God bringing down rulers from their thrones, of the rich going away empty-handed, and of God scattering the proud and lifting up the humble. This is a totally different Mary. This Mary is confident. She's owning her calling and not only believing the promise that God has given her, but proclaiming it out into the world. Christ's kingdom is coming, and an age of equality and peace is at hand. So what happened between the first Mary, the frightened Mary, the overwhelmed Mary, 
and the Mary whose soul is magnifying the Lord in this outburst of song. The thing that sits right in the middle is this encounter with Elizabeth. After the angel left her, Mary seemed to know exactly where to go next. The text, tells her, the text says that she hurried to the hill country, to the home of her older cousin, Elizabeth. Notice that she didn't go first to Joseph. I think probably because she knew how that conversation would go. You know? I'm pregnant. Don't worry. It's God. <laughs> I think she probably could imagine that conversation being a little bit rough. And in this moment, she wanted help making sense of this promise and this calling. She wanted someone to help her believe God's words to her and to give her courage. She didn't want to explain herself. She didn't want to defend herself if her story wasn't believed. So she doesn't go to Joseph, and she doesn't go to parents. Instead, she hurries off to this older cousin, Elizabeth. I wonder how instinctual it was for Mary to hurry off to the home of Elizabeth. I wonder how many times throughout her life Mary wandered that way. I wonder if there was a familiar, well-worn path out to the hill country where her older cousin lived, where she would go to get away from parents or from household duties to seek advice or vent frustrations. Elizabeth is old enough to be her mother, but their bond is something different. Mary knew that her story a baby out of wedlock conceived by the Holy Spirit, would be a hard one to believe. And so she went to someone who she knew would not only believe her, but help her believe herself and give her the courage to lean into God's calling for her life. And after all, Elizabeth had her own tales to tell of believing impossible promises. At this point, Elizabeth is six months pregnant with her own miracle baby, after being told that she couldn't conceive and assumed too old to have a baby, Elizabeth was promised a baby boy. The same angel that visited Mary visited Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, and said that the baby would not only be born, but that it would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born, and that he would go before the Lord to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This baby, of course, is John the Baptist. Elizabeth knew what it meant to believe an impossible promise and to answer an impossible calling. And so Mary instinctually hurried that way. Faith in God is a faith in promises. I think sometimes we, th we seek to make our faith calculated and logical and airtight. There are entire realms of philosophy and theology dedicated to removing our need for just open-handed, naive trust in the promises of God. It feels silly or foolish to stake it all on a promise. But all of the Christian faith sits upon a promise that is often hard to believe, that God's kingdom has come and is coming in the person of Jesus Christ. And then there are the smaller promises along the way that are hard to believe, that God will never leave us or abandon us, that our pain is not ignored or wasted, that our restoration is coming. All of these promises are often hard or even impossible to believe. 
Maybe God has given you a promise that is hard to believe or a calling that is hard to answer. And if God has given you such a promise or a calling, I wonder if you have your own well-worn path out to the hill country to someone you know will be able to build you up, believe you, believe for you, and help you believe God. An essential part of believing God's promises and answering God's calling is having the faith of others to hold you up when you just can't believe for yourself. All of us will probably need an Elizabeth and a well-worn path to the hill country at some point in our lives. And all of us will probably become that person, that Elizabeth, for someone else at some point. And so this text has got me wondering, what does it take to become that person, the person who a friend can hurry to when they've been, giving, been given a hard calling to answer or a hard promise to believe? What makes a person safe to trust with a hard promise or a hard calling? One of the things that makes Elizabeth become that person is that she sees God everywhere. When Mary walks in the house, Elizabeth gets up to greet her guest, and what happens? Well, she's, six month, she's six months pregnant, and her baby kicks. And it doesn't just kick. It's, he's doing somersaults or something in there. And you, you might have guessed, I've never been pregnant. It's <laughs> um, a safe assumption. But I've heard that when things like these, these kicks happen, it's, it's usually not this tender, sweet, motherly moment that it seems to be in the text. Most of the time, a baby leaping for joy is just a baby using its mother's bladder like a punching bag. And Elizabeth, nevertheless, had the naivety or maybe the faith to see that her baby was filled with the Holy Spirit in this moment, and that all those somersaults were signs that her baby, a helpless and ignorant child, was sharply tuned in to the movements of God. Joseph might not have gotten it. Herod might not have gotten it. But this unborn child got it. And Elizabeth got it. Elizabeth was ready to see God in the unusual, in the mundane things of life. There's an excellent author named Kathleen Norris who wrote a book called The Quotidian Mysteries. And in it, she says that the Bible is full of evidence that God's attention is indeed fixed on the little things. If we're to find God, to be ready to see God, we have to have our attention tuned into the little things. In last week's sermon, Chris, Pastor Chris mentioned that the presence of God could manifest even in Mary's morning sickness. And along those same lines, this week I saw this excellent piece by the painter Scott Erickson. And he posted this on his Instagram. Um, and in the caption, he writes, my only problem in the process of making something sacred is that we usually cut out all the really human stuff. Most paintings of the newly born baby Jesus are of him sitting upright, clean and clear eyed with a shiny halo around his head. And I get it. This kind of depiction looks way better in a painting than the newly born alien-faced baby that the doctor hands you in the delivery room. 
Mary as well. It's honoring to portray her as well-rested and dressed in her Sunday best rather than just waking up in the morning with an achy back and morning sickness breath. We will always take our most important stories and sacredly set them apart so we remember them for the rest of time, but this process becomes unhelpful when we separate our own fleshly humanity from the humanity found in these sacred stories, when we dismiss the naked flesh, fleshiness under all the fancy clothing, we can dismiss ourselves from being ones who could also find ourselves in a sacred story. And believe it or not, we are in a sacred story, achy back and all. And one of the things that drew Mary to Elizabeth when she needed help making sense of her sacred story, is that Elizabeth knew how to see it. She was ready to see God in the little things. She knew how to see God's hand in all of the unexpected mundane moments of life. She is so attuned to God's movements that you can totally see how she raised John the Baptist. John was this wild prophet when he grew up who believed that God's promise and calling was so important that he was faithful to it even unto death. And he was the product of this woman who knew how to see God. When Mary walks in, Elizabeth sees this young woman probably frightened, afraid to tell her story, afraid to own her calling, and she doesn't say, what's wrong? All right, She says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. I imagine that for the shaken and overwhelmed Mary, these words would have been a really odd thing to hear. But Elizabeth's bold confidence in God's blessing for Mary is slowly starting to build up the Mary who we will soon see sing the famous Magnificat. She goes on to say, Elizabeth does, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? All of a sudden, Elizabeth doesn't see baby cousin Mary. She sees the mother of my Lord. Elizabeth was ready at a moment's notice to receive and trust the good news from God that the Savior is coming and will be born to Mary. Last week, Pastor Chris talked a little bit about how there's a sort of responsiveness that we're called to in the Advent story, right? Instead of armoring up to defend our old ways of thinking and our old modes of being, we should be ready to adapt and receive what God is showing us. And Elizabeth does not armor up. She doesn't say, your story is bogus. What are you talking about, Mary? How could you be unfaithful? All of that. She doesn't say any of that. In a moment's notice, she is ready to rethink her relationship with Mary, her relationship with God, her relationship with the world based on Mary's calling and promise. And I imagine at these words that Mary begins to perk up. I wonder if she's beginning to see what Elizabeth sees until finally Elizabeth looks at her and says, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And with these words, sitting probably right there in Elizabeth's kitchen, Mary starts to sing. I don't know, I kind of imagine Elizabeth beatboxing in the background, maybe, something like that. 
the promise, the calling, and the faith of Elizabeth, it's all starting to click into place for Mary, and Mary takes off into song. She sings, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been merciful, or sorry, he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but the rich he sends away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be mindful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This right here is the Mary who will raise Jesus into the man he became. She is proclaiming the coming of God's kingdom and God's faithfulness to her. In this week of Advent, the fourth week of Advent, we light the peace candle. And as I was thinking about that, and especially in connection with this song that Mary sings, I just couldn't make sense of it. This song seems very confrontational. The dethroning of worldly powers and the scattering of the thoughts of the proud. It's not what I imagined peace to be. And I think partly that's because I was mistaken on what I think peace is. I think I mistake peace for serenity or quietness or something like that. I think sometimes I imagine Christian peace to look something like this, where like my role, if I'm called to be a person of peace, is to just ignore the chaos around me and to find some inner serenity, sitting there with my cup of coffee, <laughs> maybe a Bible open, right? Like that's, that's what I think it means to be peacemakers, is to just pretend like everything's fine and to be unaffected. But I don't think that's exactly what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Or I don't think that's what his mom meant when she sang this song. Believe it or not, this is a song about peace. Because peace is not merely the interior quality of one's individual character, but peace is a promise about God's coming kingdom. Peace is a world without powerlessness and exploitation. Peace is a world where every tribe, tongue, and nation can live in union under the reign of Christ. That is God's promise of peace. But that promise, in the meantime, comes along with a calling. And as Mary sings here, that calling can sometimes be anything but peaceful. The dethroning of evil and exploitive powers is not what I typically think of as a peaceful process, but nevertheless, it may be the work of a peacemaker. When Jesus and John the Baptist were spouting off about the heavens shaking and the brood of vipers and the axe laid at the root of a tree in our previous Advent text, believe it or not, they were being peacemakers. Peacemakers don't shy away from confrontation, they shine a spotlight on it. So that, when it, when, so that what is the darkness may be brought to the light. And here in today's text, Mary gets that. In this song, Mary sounds less like a Sunday school teacher and a little bit more like Johnny Cash, right? When she explains to the evil powers of the world that 
What's down in the darkness will be brought to the light. You can run for a long time, but sooner or later, God will cut you down. Her words here remind me as well of um, a song from another mother of our faith, Miriam. In the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, after the Israelites narrowly escape the attack of the Egyptians who pursue them across the Red Sea, Miriam is watching the waves crash down and swallow up the Egyptian chariots. And she sings this very strange and confrontational song of peace. She sings, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Mary, in today's text, also sounds a little bit like an Old Testament prophet, like uh, Jeremiah, who is confronting false prophets by saying, They dress the wounds of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Recently, I went to a protest where low-wage workers were voicing their need for a living wage. Um, They were outside their company um, with picket signs and and a number of supporters. And and I went to pass out water bottles and, and to support the protesters. And at a certain point, we all looked left, and there were five police cars sitting in the parking lot, just ready in case they had a reason to cart us away. And then we looked right, and we saw four tow trucks that the company hired to find and tow away all the employees' cars who were protesting. These intimidation tactics really bothered me. And when I was was talking to one of my professors about them, and he said, it sounds like there was a lot of tension. Tension is good. Tension is honest. It's the only true first step on a path to justice. Because it's the recognition of a peaceless situation. Right? It's not papered over or, or, or pretended as if it's not there. This calling of peace is a really hard calling to answer because making peace begins with the bold recognition that there is no peace. And in the face of so much inequality and suffering, this promise and calling can be especially hard to believe. Now this season, this time of year at Christmas time, we reflect on what it means that Jesus joined the human story. Jesus came to bring peace. He brought it as a promise, unfolding in the new kingdom that was born at his resurrection. And he brought it as a calling, a mission that the church must carry forward in the face of a world where there is no peace. This is a calling and a promise that may leave us as overwhelmed and as confused as Mary was when the angel approached her with her promise and her calling. But I think that she can teach us how to move forward. The bottom line is that if we are to believe this hard promise and answer this hard calling, we will need each other. We will need well-worn paths to the homes of those who can comfort us and encourage us and believe for us. And we'll need each other a lot. Notice that after Mary finds her voice and sings this song, the text says that Mary stays with Elizabeth for three more months. She's three months pregnant by the time she goes and talks to Joseph about it. She took her time in finding her courage 
Maybe one of the things that we can learn from Mary is that she knew what she needed in order to pursue God's calling with courage. Now, I know that Christmas, it's usually a time when every year we promise ourselves, okay, this year I'm going to slow down, I'm going to be reflective and peaceful, and I'm not going to get caught up in all the hurrying and all the hectic holiday madness. But maybe this year, instead of trying to avoid hurrying, let's practice a different kind of hurrying. This year, hurry off to someone who can believe for you when you can't believe on your own. Hurry off to someone who is ready to see God in the little things. And as you grow, be ready for the times when someone hurries off to you, needing you to believe God's promise and calling for them when they can't believe it on their own. Will you pray with me? Dear God, we have received a difficult promise and a difficult calling And we know that we trust you. And we ask that you would encourage us each in turn to answer that calling and to believe that promise. To see you as a God who is faithful to your promises. And to trust you when you say that you are making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen.